Welcome to episode six of the Shoesmith Serious Injury Podcast. We've got a collaboration today with our COP team. Um, we've got Lucy and Becca from our COP team with us, and we'll also be featuring on their very famous podcast more advanced than ours so far. The Copcast. The Copcast. The Sorry, cop-cast. I got the, the actual terminology wrong, the Copcast. <laughs> we don't have a cool name. Very um, imaginatively named, but it works. So, hi listeners, I'm Lucy Taylor. I'm a partner in the Course Perception team. Uh, my home office is Birmingham. Hi, I'm Rebecca Bristow. I'm a senior associate in the COP team. I'm also in the Birmingham office today for the first time this year. Yeah, it's amazing. It's good to actually be doing this in person. Yes. So for anybody who doesn't know, um, COP stands for Quarter Protection. Um, so Lucy and I work in the Shoesmith's Quarter Protection team and we have a focus on property and financial affairs. And on behalf of Clinneg, we've got uh, myself, Sharon Banger, I'm a Principal Associate based in Birmingham, and uh, me, Amy Greaves, Principal Associate also in Birmingham. Today we're going to be focusing on the relationship between um, the Clinical Negligence Department and the COP department, how it works in practice, what we do behind the scenes. Um, and we're really pitching this to those of you who may be existing practitioners and just want to know more, to those of you who have no idea as to what COP or indeed Clinega is. And, and so we can give you a bit of information as to what the two departments do, how we work together, and, and specifically at Shoesmith, the, the benefit of having both departments on site and and for us it's it's great because we're all based in Birmingham so back in the days when we were all in the office we actually literally could just walk over um, yeah there was nothing quite them. like inhuman um collaboration at the time we still do it though we're still very good um COVID hasn't got in the way of that but it's not as easy so it is nice to all be back together today for for this and maybe we can catch up on some some mutual clients after as well so yeah, that's a good idea. yeah. So, in, I suppose initial question is what types of cases, in terms of clinic cases, um, does the issue of involving the cop department arise? Typically, I'd say Amy it was in our cerebral palsy cases, isn't it? Yeah, um, so that's the most common cases where we've got children who have got a brain injury because of cerebral palsy, um, and so straight away they're deemed not to have capacity to manage their financial affairs at least until they're eighteen, mm-hmm. and then. Obviously, at that point, it has to get assessed again as to whether the deputyship needs to continue. But even if the deputyship doesn't need to be continued, then there normally needs to be some kind of trust and there's some protection for the client and COP team stay involved with that. So either way, really. Other examples are adults who don't have capacity, whether it's because of a brain injury or another psychiatric condition. Those are the most common yeah and you do get some odd ones as well where i mean for example i've got one where it's a fatality case which wouldn't normally have any issues to do that cop would need to help us with but because we're representing the child of the person who passed away who has capacity issues we, we needed to make sure that he was protected um and that his interests were were considered so it there is such a variety of circumstances where it can just come up and it's so useful for us as clinic lawyers to have that contact and have that input because it's not actually the case that we will contact you straight away when the when we're at the point of creating a trust or a deputyship it may just be at the start of a case where we just want some input as to yeah, how it works. absolutely. I mean, I think as soon as there is um, a capacity issue, and you guys are very good at kind of picking up on those, and it it could be a client who you're acting for um, who 
the injury is not caused um, the loss of capacity in itself. So, for example, um, the, the situation you just gave, Shannon, but also maybe an older client, an older client you're acting for who might have had a dementia diagnosis at some point during the litigation and then the capacity issue flags then. Um, the long and short of it is what do we do if we start right back at basics? And within the court protection team, we support um, insofar as um, we absolutely possibly can. And only when we can't, we um, will make decisions on behalf of people who, who can't make the decisions for themselves and that's generally around their finances and, and their financial affairs and obviously that encompasses any compensation that you go on to help the client to receive as a result of the injuries they've had and in cases where there are young children like cerebral palsy cases th those children um you know there will be evidence that they will not sadly have capacity when they reach the age of 18 and that's when the course of protection jurisdiction can be invoked for for a child um and as you say Amy that that's reviewed and, and certainly reviewed when the child becomes um or is getting close to 18. In, in other cases like the older client for example um equally the same it's not that the injury has caused the incapacity but ultimately you have to take your victim as you find um and so if if you're if you're a claimant who sadly has lost capacity because of maybe parkinson's or dementia or some form of degenerative illness at some point equally you then if you haven't made plans three powers of attorney perhaps you need a deputy who can help to manage the compensation that you, you're going to go on and receive so that's where we get involved and um, I think from our perspective, it can be really useful. Like we have situations where if there is a deputyship in place, a deputy has got regular contact with the family. Sometimes we go and see the family jointly. And I know in previously, Becca, yourself, we've had that with several palsy clients and it really worked well because it, it almost gives them two legal heads as, as, as opposed to just one and, yeah. and a point of contact, which they otherwise wouldn't have had in situations which they find really difficult to navigate, especially when it's the family um, that yeah. are having to... We can be there to sort of support the family, navigate through the stuff that happens outside of the litigation. So the practical side of raising a child with cerebral palsy, what services can they tap into, what networks are there out there to help them. Um, we can add that additional layer of support to the family unit who are in turn providing that vital resource and vital support to the client. Yeah, and then that's, I mean, as much as clinic lawyers, we do have a lot of contacts, but we don't always have all of the, the best case managers in the area or the best occupational therapists or physiotherapists, whatever it is that a client needs. It's actually really helpful in those cases to have that input because you know that, especially in, in your locality, you'll know the best people to go to and, and our clients benefit from that. Yeah, definitely. And I think because we do work on a national footprint, we're quite able to kind of even in deep pockets where you, you're sort of thinking, God, I need a I need a specialist um, paediatric OT or I need somebody who can work with my client to look at what assistive tech options might be available. And because we are on that national footprint with people right throughout sort of, um, I'll say England for now, um, we, we can sort of identify the, the best people to support the client. And that's from a treatment side, whilst you guys are looking at the expert evidence, we hopefully, with um, the ability of an interim payment, can get involved and try to support the client with the setup of their multidisciplinary therapy team. So that's where we kind of really can come into play and support the client. But as Rebecca says, you know, there is there is still resource out there for people who are just navigating post-injury, whatever that looks like for them, whether that's within statutory services, whether it's charitable organisations. We have quite a lot of connections and contacts to be able to signpost. I suppose. 
I think that's one of the big benefits of being in the same office or whether that's virtually or in person, because if we get a client and we're not entirely sure of capacity or we're not close to getting an interim payment, but they really need support, then we can just come and have an informal chat with you guys and be, this is the situation. Can you help us? And then generally the answer is yes. So the client's getting that support even before as I say there's any liability admission or interim payment which is when you traditionally get more involved in the day-to-day decisions. Which is a great way of getting involved with the clients from an early stage to build that rapport and relationship because if there is a capacity issue and a deputy is going to need to be appointed at some point during the litigation it's going to need to be looked after it's great to to build those building blocks for, from an early start so that that relationship can continue through the litigation and out the other side and they feel like they've been supported all the way as opposed to just being presented with this other lawyer at the end, at the end. end. Yeah. yeah definitely and you know somebody who has um been injured the, the issues are always wider than just the um consideration to to bring a claim you know it's whether they're getting the right benefits or whether you know their accommodation is suitable do they need to be supported by their local authority to identify better accommodation if that's possible or to start receiving direct payments towards their care there is those are all things that can be done very early doors which make the clients lives um a little bit easier and that's just totally outside of the remit of even litigation that's you know things you can achieve very early on but some of those are actually linked as well so from our perspective when we're looking at further down the line sometimes as a case in terms of valuation i often find after having a conversation with you guys i'm it, it gets my mind ticking as to other things we perhaps need to be looking at in the schedule um questions that we need to be asking of our experts that we perhaps may not have fully explored at that stage so it can really help to add to the valuation of a case or at least allow us to understand what approach to take to the valuation because every case is different and it's dependent on the circumstances of a particular client. Yeah I mean I'd agree with that I think because the court protection team you're more involved with the day-to-day there's a lot more nuance that you pick up and I think a lot of things that clients perhaps think we don't need to know because there's a, a lot of people in litigation. There's us, there's barristers, there's experts, there's the defendant, there's de- defendant's experts. And I think clients sometimes get a bit, can get a bit overwhelmed with all of that and think, well, actually, I'm not going to bother Amy or Sharon or whoever with this bit of information because it probably doesn't matter. But actually, it does. And then they have that conversation with you. You have that conversation with us. And then, as Sharon says, it then feeds into everything so that their claim fully compensates with what they need yeah i mean absolutely um we've we've worked on a a client whereby you know the 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 parents were were divorcing and you know quite often as a court protection lawyer you know you're the first to find out that information because it is a journey we do build a relationship with them and that isn't something necessarily that immediately you would tell your litigation solicitor but equally I'm going to talk to my court of protection solicitor and you know sort of say this is this is what's happening at home and in turn that has a massive effect on the litigation doesn't it yeah 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 it's huge because it's who is the child living with which is normally a question when they're getting their independence at mid-20s mm-hmm. or, or whatever it is. Are they living with their parents? Are they living on their own? But actually, if their parents are divorcing, then it's which parent will they live with? Are both parents in accessible accommodation? How does the care regime work in two different properties? And all of these things have a huge impact on the litigation. 
definitely. And I think as well, we 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 also see the quirky as well. You know, I I think things nowadays which are a bit more common, things like hippotherapy or music therapy. But quite often, you know, they're things that come up for us, and we sort of can see the client has an interest in something um you know maybe working with a charity to access um disabled skiing they're not necessarily things that as you say you would automatically think but when we build up the relationship with client we get to kind of know what their likes and dislikes are and we're able to recommend things which actually can really add value and improve the quality of their lives and then that's something that in turn you can think about quantifying within their claim and i suppose if you're going into their family setting sometimes you can see if it's a a bigger family what the siblings are doing and what that client may actually be missing out on that if all you had to do is put something into place yeah. you could you could facilitate for them and, and, and gain accessibility so it's having that insight and the a, a second person who's going to their mm-hmm. house who's going who's speaking to them regularly who who might be able to feed into the litigation and, and at the end of the day that's what litigation is there for it's it's not just to it's not as a, just as a justice justice system is there to make sure that they're getting everything that they need and would have had had the negligence not occurred. For the, our listeners who don't know as much about the um, the whole system in terms of a deputyship and how they operate, once you get to the stage of actually, or, or when is it? When is it that you can get to a stage of putting one into place, and what are the types that you can put into place? Yeah, so a person will need a deputy if they lack capacity to make decisions about their their financial affairs and in some cases also their their health and well-being. Um, Sometimes people have had the opportunity to be able to make what are called lasting powers of attorney or or very old version now of enduring powers of attorney and if a person's had capacity and has made their power of attorney to decide who they would like to make decisions for them if they don't have capacity then that's great. Um, They've they've pre-planned, they've got that that attorney they've got that document in place however sometimes um when you make those documents you don't normally do that with the sort of contemplation that you're going to go on and and receive maybe a large compensation award so sometimes even an attorney might say this is too much for me to take on Um, but they are a really useful tool if a person hasn't got an lpa or an epa as we call them and they are lacking capacity and they have assets which need to be managed the only way that that can legally be done is with a, a deputyship order and that's a, a paper order it's a piece of paper for all intents and purposes that comes out of something called the court of protection and the court of protection was set up to manage and support people who lack capacity and if you think about the children cases obviously they're, they're those children would never have had the opportunity to make a lasting power attorney because you can't make one whilst you're a child. You have to be an adult of age to make that power. So the deputyship orders are there and they appoint an individual or individuals or sometimes like within Shoesmiths, our trust corporation, which is a really useful body. And that acts as deputy for that individual to make decisions for them, but only when they can't. And we are very much about ensuring that people are supported to make as many decisions as they possibly can. And when they can't, that's when their deputy will step in and make those decisions. And practically speaking, from in terms of ClinNeg cases as it is, um, I, I, from my own experience, it's usually when we've got some of money in place to... to, to yeah, I mean, to, it comes down to that assets to be managed yeah. aspect, really. You know, there are, there are so many people um, who don't have capacity 
um, and they'll they'll probably never have a deputy. Um, and and the reason for that is that they just don't have very much to manage. Um, you know, somebody who might have a a state pension um, or somebody who may have no savings or anything like that has just got income from their benefits, but they can be managed relatively easy through a different mechanism, and they'll never need a deputy. So really, a deputy comes into play where there are more significant things that need to be managed. Um, and as you say, maybe an interim payment is on the cards um, to, to help to um, fund rehabilitation. Um, certainly at that point, if it's identified that the individual is lacking mental capacity to make decisions about um, their financial affairs, and that is a kind of blanket question, because within that, they might be able to make some minor decisions, but not more major decisions. That's the point that we need to start thinking about what's the appropriate way to go. Is it a deputyship or it might even be a trust? Um, and at that point, really, you want to be thinking, where do we go with this? But certainly once an interim payment is going to be forthcoming, there needs to be a mechanism to help manage that. That's quite often the trigger point for our involvement, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. We were saying earlier, if there is a way of us becoming involved to have those conversations, it's almost a, a great way of you having that initial conversation with the client about this mm -hmm. might be something that you need, perhaps talking to us and then giving them the options because it isn't just a case of whilst we have the benefit of working internally together, it isn't a blanket approach that you must appoint. I, I think for a client and certainly when we're dealing with them, it's a massive thing for them to ha contemplate having to have a third party involved in quite important decisions yeah. and I think there are some clients who see it as kind of a, an element of giving away control especially if you're parents when you've yeah. been used to taking care of that child and suddenly there's an aspect that you're not fully in control of it's really important for them to have that contact as early as possible because it, it's an education it's education for them as to the benefits that there it is that there are for them. Um, I think the setup that we have at Shoesmith is even better because if they've come to kind of trust us and know what it is to deal with us as clinic neg lawyers, they see it as an extension of that service and are able to tap into it a lot easier than if they were kind of carted off elsewhere, which obviously always is an option, but um, it's it, it depends on how things go. Yeah, and I think it's it, what it's most about is finding the right fit yeah um so you're absolutely right um the, the number of times that i've you know met a family or met a client for the first time and we've talked about why deputyship is necessary um or maybe why trust is necessary and and having the thought process of maybe having a professional involved like ourselves as opposed to you know their partner or their mum or their dad being their deputy um from from the outset i would say that nine out of ten of those conversations start off with them wanting to have somebody they know and a family member deal with it mm -hmm. Unfortunately, as soon as we get to the point of actually telling them what it entails and the responsibilities and the duties that they have and how, quite honestly, how, how it's a burden, um, it's really burdensome. It can be quite onerous, isn't it? Because I, I know even for myself, when we first started doing these large scale claims and, and you realise what it is that yourselves do, um, I mean, the, the, I think the big part for me was that it's just the sheer accounting responsibilities yeah. you have to the court protection. Yeah. And then that take, that's t aside from just the practical day-to-day -day responsibilities that you have for the client. It will go the other way. Is that having to say no sometimes? Yeah. yeah. And I think when you're trying to wear that hat of A, being a parent is hard enough, B, being a parent when you've got a brain injury to understand yourself and help your child understand, and then having to be the banker almost, um, it's a very simplistic way of putting it, but sometimes having to say no and explain things, it's another 
it can be another sort of judder to your relationship with your child. And if you can remove that aspect, sometimes parents prefer that and um, to hand that off to a professional and say that's what sits over there. Mm-hmm. They've taken that hat off and they don't have to worry about it so much. I it's think- also the reassurance, you know, that ultimately you, you, you have to be a lawyer, an accountant, a financial advisor, mm-hmm. a social worker, an employment um, lawyer, HR administrator, all of those things come into play when you are a deputy. Okay, you're not a specialist in all of that, um, but you are skilled to be able to identify, deal with those issues, signpost them when they arise. And I think the conversation from being starting point where they want family or friends to be to be involved as their deputy or you know their their trustees most conversations go the other way by the time they realize exactly the extent of what's involved and i would say and and, the, and this is something that you know is quite a hot topic in our world at the moment you really need to think whether you've got the skills to do this because mm-hmm. it is a legal duty that you have um managing somebody else's money um there are it is it is a legal responsibility you do have accounting but you also have to have a really good understanding of how you're applying the funds the decision making process the mental capacity act um and actually you know do you have the skills um to do it is the first question and then beyond that do you really want to do it like you say rebecca um, and put yourselves in, in the position of being the kind of gatekeeper there's also if you've got a you know the practicalities of it of all of the other things that you're doing in addition to any deputyship so if you've got a child who's got cerebral palsy or if it's a deputyship for an adult who has lost capacity you're likely to be dealing with care needs medical needs accommodation needs how are they generally do you really have the the time to deal with all of that even if you're supported with any compensation that may have come from a claim you're still going to be doing an element of case management caring sorting Mm. things out so do you really want then the financial pressure and the legal duties that Mm. come with that on top of all of that so i would agree with you i think most clients are a a little bit apprehensive and don't understand what it means but then actually by the time they've had that initial conversation with you just see this is something i can easily get off my plate but also how you guys work is you never take anything away from the, the parent or the family member that's closest to the person who's got the deputyship because you need to be involved with them. So. Uh, absolutely right. And I think, you know, for, first thing is, can the client make the decision themselves? Um, and, you know, if it is a child, then it's can the parent, how far, um, you know, can the individual be involved? And then those people supporting that individual involved in the decision-making process as well and taking into account their thoughts, wishes and feelings. Um, you know, even when as a deputy, you are having to make the ultimate final decision. So it's not... And I understand from you know some some clients perspective they might sort of see oh it's this person sitting in an office making all my decisions and I lose my autonomy it's absolutely not how how we work um and that's why I say it's about finding the right fit because um you know we've got a relatively large team and within that team we do try to fit kind of the the legal advisor to the client you know, some clients will prefer working with Rebecca and some might prefer working with me. Um, and, and that's just the way it is. And we've got a good spread of people, all from different walks and backgrounds, um, that can kind of mix with the client to find the right fit for the client. Which is exactly the same process we go through with finding therapists and support workers and case managers. We don't just present a client with, this is your case manager. It's getting to understand the client, what, what 
And sometimes it takes it to go through a few to, to get to yeah. the right person, which is completely fine. Yeah. And um, that ties in, I guess, to another benefit of having a professional deputy. Lucy, you touched on it earlier, but you've got the contacts. Whereas where would you even start with that if you didn't know? And also, mm -hmm. as we all know, sometimes those relationships break down and the client picks the case manager, but then actually it doesn't quite fit or over a period of time. And you then can say, well, here's four or five alternatives. Let's meet with them and, and pick them. Where again, if you're on your own without the deputy team behind you, how do you find those contacts? And I think from a clinic perspective and showing what you were saying about trying to put the client back in the position that they would have been in if a decision is made at the time of settlement that actually family members want to do the deputyship and then five years later it becomes too much we won't have claimed the cost yeah. of the the option won't be there yeah that we won't have claimed the cost of it and so the family will either yeah have to pay out of their own pocket or it's not really an option yeah so. i think that's the major takeaway is that from our perspective as clinic solicitors it, it the major thing that we can say to a client is that this can give you a safety net it can give you it's almost like an insurance policy for the future that you may think you could do these tasks now and i, I it, it, even that is difficult and, and what lucy and becca have said is completely correct in the fact that it's very onerous in in particular situations but in the future you just don't know what your own capacity as an individual is going to be so having the mechanism of a deputy having that support it, it's it's invaluable i think um, I think that pretty much takes us to the end of the discussion today. It's been really good. And actually, even I, as a clinic lawyer, have come away and kind of knowing things. And it's kind of given me a few things to think about on some of my existing cases. But if there is anyone who's listened and would like more information, either by, about Clinic or about COP, then obviously, with respect to COP, Becca and Lucy are the um, specialists, and Clinic, obviously, myself and Amy. And um, thank you very much for listening. I think we should add one extra point, which is just that, particularly if it's a brain injured child, we're, the case goes on for quite a length of time, so we get to know the family quite well. But the really good point of if they stay with our COP team is we get to know what happened. Yes. So I know through Rebecca that one of our previous clients got married and we went to the wedding. <laughs> so that's just, it's just nice to know. It's really nice, actually. That you've helped through the compensation claim for their you know life to continue in the way that it should have so that's a real bonus i think thank you so much um and keep listening <laughs>